Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the Movie Brats Podcast. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing well. We're in the midst of award season. I guess it's been on for, you know, a few months, but it, we're really in the heat of it now with BAFTAs coming up soon and the Oscars later this month. And to sort of celebrate the end of the year and the approaching Oscars, uh, we are doing our top fives of 2018. And uh, I think we're going to start with Jonathan today. So okay. let's start uh, from your top five and we'll get down to our one. Okay, so the way that this will go is that these are films that were released theatrically or at least streaming in 2018. Some of them might have played at a film festival at a previous year, but these are 2018 films that were at least released in America that year. So my number five is one of the most Oscar-nominated films uh, this year is Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Uh, I think that Spike Lee is an underrated director, even though that people often praise him. I think that he is consistently one of the most interesting and prolific directors. Not everything he does is Do the Right Thing or Malcolm X, but I think that Black Klansman is certainly one of his best films of this century. Uh, I really liked his film Chirac. That was in my top five the year it came out. It was actually my number two after Mad Max Fury Road, but Black Klansman is a very funny, very, every aspect, the directing, the writing, the performances. You have John David Washington, uh, which is Denzel's son, playing uh, the lead character, and it's this incredible true story about an African-American policeman that infiltrates the KKK. The first African-American policeman in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Right. It takes place in the 70s. And uh, Adam Driver plays his white uh, sidekick. And when they Jewish. Yes, Jewish. (laughs) And when they meet in person with the Klan, the white officer obviously goes. But when they talk on the phone, it's the African-American cop. And uh, I just think the film is so well constructed on every level. And I think that the movie up till the very end is a very good movie, but the ending makes it a great film. It's so powerful and moving and infuriating, and it resonates so powerfully. And I almost cried at the end of the film with the final image of the up down, upside-down American flag. It, it really packs a punch at the end. Oh, yeah. It's a movie that has a real message to it, and it's really entertaining at the same time, which is something that you don't really see very often that's done as deftly as Black Klansman is. And like you were saying earlier, not every movie Spike Lee makes reaches the heights of his best uh, stuff like uh, Malcolm X or Do the Right Thing. But I think this is the best movie he's made since maybe Do the Right Thing. I think it might be my second favorite movie he's ever done. And as you mentioned before, John David Washington, like he carries the movie. Uh, Adam Driver is the guy who got nominated for the Oscar, which is a little... (laughs) confusing because john david washington is in like basically every scene totally carries the movie um laura harrier i thought was really good i hadn't seen her in a whole lot except uh, besides the spider-man movie which came out uh maybe last year um topher grace as david duke was actually incredible and i know there was sort of a lot of blowback because he plays david duke as sort of like a normal regular kind of nice guy but that's like sort of like the point of it to show how like you know 
hate can infiltrate the seemingly nicest of places. Um, yeah, I really like it. It's actually my uh, number three movie of this year. A little spoiler right there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I also, mean... I also like the way the film incorporates other images uh, from films such as Gone with the Wind and The Birth of a Nation. The and, Birth of a Nation sequences were really effective. Yeah, and I think that it's also, one, uh, besides the ending, one of the most powerful scenes in the film is uh, Harry Belafonte giving the speech and you know him being a civil rights activist and an actor and singer himself, but you know, putting him in this film, you know, it has a real, it gives it a real weight and power. And, it, but besides it having these really powerful moments and having a really strong message, it's just really one of the most purely entertaining yes. movies of the year too. Really and, funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's a film that Spike Lee likes to make the distinction. You can debate with him about it or not, but he says that he doesn't consider, consider the film a comedy that it's a satire. No, it's not a comedy. Have, yeah. To him, it's a different. There's a difference, but um, it is very uh, funny. And at times, it's one of those where you do laugh out loud, but other times you start laughing, and the laugh gets caught in your throat because yeah. it's, you know, it's it's one of those where it's, some of the dialogue is so heavy the with the racial epithets and the and the just the horrible things they say to each other. But it's very realistic. Yeah. So, what's your number five? My number five was also nominated for a decent amount of Academy Awards, somewhat surprisingly. It is Cold War, which is the uh, sort of historical period drama by Pavel Pavlikovsky, who directed Ada a couple years ago, which was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, Cold War is... uh, a 90-minute epic about a communist folk dance troupe in Poland uh, and sort of centers on the, like, musical director and one of the singers uh, as they sort of form a, a romantic entanglement that takes them over, like, 20 years of communist Europe. And it's Even though 90 minutes. this movie's not funny at all. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> But, uh, this is black and white, serious, you know, art house fair. But it's really well done. It's really well done. That ninety minutes, no scene in it feels like it's. Uh, There's no the film. No, and it goes, and it's like <laughs> as boring as a black and white movie set in Poland may sound. The fact that it's only ninety minutes, like actually, it moves at a pretty good pace because everything that happens is just so significant. And honestly, it might be the most beautifully shot movie I saw that came out all of last year it's really incredible the black and white photography i some of the coolest stuff you'll ever see um, the scenes the, the performances are so powerful oh, and yeah. just the way they're staged and they photograph and I mean, like every face and they're all it's really cool i saw it in new york when i was there uh last month and the theater was really really loud and it's one of those where you're, it's just so it just so engulfs you in the image and sound and you're just so pulled into it, even though it's black and white period piece and full screen. Like there's all this, you know, kind of the full screen. I forgot to mention that. (laughs) Yeah. Like first reformed another film this year. But um, yeah, I just thought I like how people say that the lead actress is like a Polish Jennifer Lawrence. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I I don't know if I've said it on one of the previous episodes, but the film is to me like if you took 
like a three hour long David Lean film and you just honed it down to 90 minutes. It's yeah. like it cuts through about 15 years, you know, through different decades. But it like In tons of different 10, locations. Yeah. 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 Like and without very little context when you're like in a new place, which adds to like the sort of effect of the movie. But when I finished watching it, I was just like, I wish this was like 45 minutes longer. Because, I mean, just I'm very interested in, like, the central story in it with the the man who's sort of, like, the creative director genius behind the troupe and then, like, the lead actress who he turns into some sort of a, a like, French uh, sort of jazz pop singer. It's It's a really incredible movie. I was very surprised it got nominated for as many Oscars as it did. But I think it was very well earned. And I didn't see this until uh, a couple weekends ago, but... As soon as I saw it, I was like, this is definitely in my top five. And it sort of was battling with Roma, which is another foreign language black and white movie. I figured I couldn't have both of them. Um, so as good as Roma was, <laughs> I just gave Cold War the edge over it. I, I think that the film has, you know, it, it's a film where what isn't shown and what you don't see in here is, you know, imp- as important as what you do see. And oh, yeah. they actually had the director do a little introduction uh, when I saw it in New York, not in person, but that little video introduction, I think, when they filmed uh, him at the New York Film Festival. And he was saying that it's a film that the audience has to piece in some of the moments because it cuts between years and different countries. <laughs> With, and like, I'm, no context. <laughs> I know. And I do want to say that I don't want to give it away, but the ending is so beautiful and perfect. Yeah, it is. That last shot, oh, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, yeah, I feel bad, but it's it's uh, yeah, it's. It, I mean, you know, you should you should be able to take ninety minutes of a black and white and po- black and white Polish movie. You know, it's it's only ninety minutes. Yeah, if it was like three and a half hours, I could forgive you, but ninety minutes is not that long. I think all of his movies are under ninety minutes. Yeah, Ada was like eighty five or something like that. Yeah, it was also nominated for foreign language and cinematography, which is you know rare for a foreign film. Um, but there, there have, there's, um, a, a few, there are a few black and white foreign films in the last few years. The white ribbon was also nominated for cinematography, but, um, yeah, I, uh, it, it's a little film you'll have to like look for at your local art house, but it's definitely worth seeing in a theater. I mean, I feel like we say that about every film, but it, you know, it is really worth seeing, uh, it in a theater, but, um, my number four pick is a film that. I don't think anyone on earth saw and it's a film that barely got released in the US. It's one of those that probably played in LA and New York and a few other theaters. But uh I really love Jeanette, the childhood of Joan of Arc, uh Bruno Dubont's rock opera about young uh Joan of Arc. About ninety seven percent of the film is her standing in a field and she's professing to God uh, and asking him, what do I do with my life? What is my uh, journey? What should I do? But the whole thing's a rock musical. And I don't know how seriously Dumont wants us to take it because if you read the script, it's like completely sincere, existential questioning of what the meaning of life is, what God wants us to do. But it's done in this kind of school pageant rock musical where some of the people who can't really sing that well and you have these two nuns come out and their habits fall off and their long hair comes out and they start shaking their head like they're at a rock concert. And uh, it's a very strange movie, but I like to say I was converted by it. 
And I like that um, it's John Waters' favorite film of last year. He put it at number one in Art Forum magazine. And his last line in his blurb was that, uh, you'll hate. Th- he said, "You'll hate this movie." So most people probably won't like it or ever see it, but it is. On <laughs> most Amazon- people won't see it. <laughs> it is on Amazon Prime, and uh, oh, really? I- Just for anyone to view? It's yeah, not it's a for- rental. Yeah, it's for free on it if you have Amazon Ooh, Prime. Wow, I might so, actually um, watch it then. <laughs> yeah, Bruno Dumont's a very interesting career. I've only seen um, his first two films. Uh, and th- and this one, uh, and he started out making these really bleak heavy serious serious french films and then the last three films he's made two comedies and a rock musical about joan of arc and then since then it hasn't come out in the u.s but he's done a sequel to one of the comedies and it's yeah i mean it's just one it's like if michael hanukkah suddenly took a right turn and wanted to did rock of ages yeah, I mean it's just so bizarre, and uh, but I I thought it was great. Um, uh, it's it's a film that only John Waters and me would have it in our top uh, ten of the year. But uh, it's it's uh, Jeanette, the childhood of Joan of Arc. Watch it on Amazon Prime. It's uh, a unique movie. And my and- number four is actually also available on Amazon Prime, and I would also call a unique movie <laughs> is First Reformed, uh, which is written and directed by Paul Schrader, the writer of Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Um, Actually nominated for Best Screenplay, which was Paul Schrader's first ever uh, Oscar nomination for his career, which is uh, very nice to see for someone who's been in the industry for such a long time. But uh, (laughs) First Reformed is about the reverend of a very old church in upstate New York that's having its 250th anniversary and uh his very small congregation has uh some sort of issues one has a crisis uh on the existential level and sort of makes him question his faith and sort of his belief in earth and humankind in general it is a very intense movie um it might be the most serious movie i saw all of last year but ethan hawk in the central performance is really incredible it might be the best i've ever seen him in his whole career and uh it's a really really powerful movie it's really like dense but really no not a whole lot of fat on it it's like each scene sort of really perfectly leads into the next and the central it's really a character study just about ethan Hawke's character and this like depths we go into his like mind and it's just really incredible and ethan Hawke carries the movie so well a lesser actor wouldn't have been nearly as good of a movie. I know this is really high on your top five, Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'll just say I, I also really like this film, and I will go into more go into more depth uh, in a little bit, possibly. Uh, so, uh, you want me to do my number three? And we, Why don't and you if, go into it right now? Okay, my number one of the year is First Reformed. <laughs> um, I, I, it's one that's you know it came out in the you know around the summer earlier in the year and when i saw it i i knew that it was going to be one of my or i would think it would be one of the best films of the year and it, when i put it together in my mind every film i saw it's my number one um it's just a film that it has such a simplicity to it uh the way it's shot there's barely any camera movement it's in full not screen. a lot of score either 
right? And it, but it, but there's so much depth to it. It has it's it's a kind of a, a paradox that it's so simple on the surface, and it lo- it's just like so. Which sparse. simplicity is like entrancing. It like right, mesmerizes yeah. you. I know, and I think that it's so. I tell people it's as heavy and bleak and serious as a film gets, but it's very, you know, entertaining is not the word, but it's just so engrossing. Yeah. And uh, the just you can't take is, your eyes off it. This I Ethan know. Hawke is like a magnetic, honestly. And you just feel the pain yeah. in his eyes and in his soul. You can just feel it. And I think that it, I mean, Paul Schrader is, you know, he, not every film he comes out with, it gets, you know, critical acclaim he does some duds or but even like wide recognition like he makes a lot of stuff that like nobody sees right i mean he did a, a film with Lindsay lohan and the porn star, porn star james dean that was written by him and brett easton ellis or no at least he wrote it at brett easton ellis but uh yeah i just think the film is so powerful and i love the ending it's probably my favorite ending of the year it's open for interpretation and just like the 20 Uh minutes leading up to the ending well honestly the whole movie leading up to the ending but like yeah (laughs) i i i like um i i like that it's it has something to say it's it's an important film and it's about faith and the environment and what it means you know what what it means to you know it, it makes you question your place in the world yeah, I, I think it's an incredible film, and uh, there were a number of films I saw last year that I really liked, but uh, it's, I, I, I taught it in my film class last semester, so I've seen it three times. Um, one time was like sitting in front of the classroom, like looking at it sideways, but uh, I saw it twice in theaters, and I think it's a really uh, brilliant film, and uh, kudos to Paul Schrader for making it. Uh, oh, so, yeah. so you want to do your number three now? Yes. Well, you talked about it already, right? Yes. Black Klansman. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add to it? Uh, I think I said my piece about it generally. I Uh, will definitively say it's my favorite Spike Lee movie since Do the Right Thing. And it's definitely more rewatchable than Do the Right Thing. As intense as Black Klansman is. Um, But yeah, I love it. Well, do the right thing is another one where it's often very funny, yeah, but it, it is. gets but um, it's serious. It's very end. serious at the end, yeah. As Black Klansman does as well. But I watched Black Klansman on an airplane recently because it's just so good. Do they beep up the N word? Uh no, they actually, yeah. It oh, was like, okay. <laughs> as much cursing and stuff as as in it, yeah. It was perfectly fine to watch on an airplane, at least in my case. Okay, well, um, my number three pick, uh, like your like my number four, the two films that you have not seen, uh, my number three is Burning, Cheng Dong Lee's uh, nearly two and a half hour slow burn thriller mystery that you don't really almost know is a mystery or a thriller until like an hour and 40 minutes into the movie. Um, it's the most enigmatic film I saw last year. It's the one that I thought the most about. It uh, it almost makes me upset because I am like, what is this movie saying? It, it's one of those you have to just like an Anatony film. It's just one you have to ponder and think about. You know what's there. It, you know it's it's it, it. I mean, it's a movie like blow up in my mind. It, it's a film that makes you think about reality and uh. <laughs> It, it it just it's so is it as slow as blow up is and it's sort of built oh, it's up slower <laughs> oh really <laughs> like like i said it's like over an hour and a half 
until like you even kind of consider it a thriller or mystery. Oh wow! And and everything that happens in the movie, you have to go: is this really happening, or why is this happening? And that does sound a lot like uh, blow up. Yeah, it, it it's one it's one that you got to turn the lights off, turn the phone off, and sit and like be really serious and watch it and take take it in because it's it's slow it's a slow burn for sure. But I found it really just it it, it just grabbed me uh, and it just it's it's one of those films where you're watching it and you just know you're in the hands of a master. Uh, the guy who directed it, uh, Cheng Dong Lee, I've only actually seen his previous film. And it was like eight years between movies. Uh, his last one was Poetry, and that was my favorite film the year it came out in the U.S. So I was really looking forward to this one. And um, it has the actor Steven Yeun, who uh, is in The Walking Dead, and he was in Sorry to Bother You also last year. But uh, I just and he got a number of um, critics awards for Best Supporting Actor, and he has a really interesting role of. You know, it 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 depends on how you interpret what's happening in the film. You know, what his character is and his motivation and what he's doing. It, I'm being I'm being very like open and not giving <laughs> things away. It's a film to go into not knowing very much about it, and it, it's even a film if you like are given the whole plot synopsis, like it's watching the movie and experiencing it that gives it its power. Like you could kind of basically know what happens in the movie. But it's the way the film is directed, and it's based on a short story. Um, and even though it's a two and a half hour movie, almost it just, uh, you know, if you go if you go along with it, it's it's very rewarding. It's one of the very best reviewed films of last year. It made a lot of critics' top ten list, uh, even though it didn't get nominated for best foreign language film, which uh, was disappointing. But uh, fifty years from now, people are going to be talking about it. Yeah, it's definitely it's one I really wanted to see. And I'm pretty disappointed I didn't get to see it in theaters, but I'm going to try to see it as soon as I can. Um, <laughs> what's, well, what's your number two? My number two is a movie I just actually rewatched a couple days ago um, and also was a big uh, darling of the Oscars this year. It is The Favorite, uh, the Yorgos Lanthimos period piece about the reign of Queen Anne and... <laughs> the vying of her sort of uh, favoritism between the Duchess of Marlborough, played by Rachel Weisz, and her cousin, played by Emma Stone. It is a very singular kind of movie. It was really unlike anything I saw last year. And unlike uh, most things I've ever seen, to be quite honest, um, it's got a very distinct sort of tone to it. Uh, Sort of dark, but also really weirdly funny and it captures like the sort of grubbiness of the period in a really interesting way most period pieces everything is very clean everyone's eating off of you know like the finest china and stuff like this and, and this one burned with lie <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and people are taking shits on the street and and jerking off people yeah <laughs> yeah it's a very it really shows you, like, the dirtiness and, like, the sort of formalism of, like, the court and everything, but how underneath everybody, like, stinks like shit and they're, like, just behaving in, like, totally barbaric sort of manners. But really incredible central performances with Olivia Coleman as uh, Queen Anne and Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone as the sort of people doling out to be her favorite. Um, <laughs> it's a really weird movie. It's sort of surprising that it got as much uh, critical, I mean, not critical love, obviously critics would like it, 
but as much Oscar love as it did. Um, I wonder it's how many people actually Roma. ended up seeing it. It's yeah, tied, tied with, with Roma for the most nominations, I think, with 10. Right. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I've seen it twice already. I'll probably see it a bunch more times in the next few months. As soon as it comes out on Blu-ray, I'm going to buy it and watch it. It's a really incredible movie. I was thinking about putting it at number one, but it was just barely edged out by uh, the movie that ended up coming at number one for me. Um, you saw it much earlier than I did. I didn't see it till December. You saw right. it at the New York Film Festival last year, right? Yeah, with uh, Emma Stone in person. Well, I didn't really oh. see her, but I did <laughs> see uh, uh, Lanthimos introduced it in person. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it's in my top 10. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's brilliantly directed it i'm happy that yorgos got nominated which it, it it's it's kind of crazy that a movie this weird is nominated for best director along with two black and white foreign films you know it's a pretty it was a very strange crop of nominations which is and uh i would be i would vote for olivia coleman and rachel Weitz for lead actress and supporting actress and uh watching think... it again though olivia coleman did not seem like the lead actress well, you could argue that, you know, any of them are the lead. It depends on how you read the story and who's in power, you know. That's, <laughs> that's true. Of... I mean, I definitely saw it Emma Stone as the lead actress the last time I watched it. Yeah, and but, she, uh... it's one of the best things she's done. Oh, for sure. And it's really different than her persona, which like the innocent girl next door type. Um, she's like very Machiavellian, and it's a really, really good performance from her. I, well, I'm not totally convinced by her accent, to be honest, but... It works. Well, well, why would you say she usually plays a girl next door tape? I think of her as playing this like sassy, like old school, like Catherine Hepburn like type. Like Carol Lombard kind of? Yeah, like Easy A in the two Woody Allen movies she was in. That's I think true. of her as think like Woody Allen. La La Land. Um, Easy A, she's... Uh, yeah, I guess the sort of like rap fire dialogue kind of... Yeah, Canadian. it's like she could have played the Jennifer Jason Lee character in the Hudsucker Proxy if she had been born. You know, it's like yeah, that's think, probably true. But um, no, I, I I think the favorite. But there's is, a nastiness in this role that wasn't there in her earlier movies. Yeah, I, well, I think um, yeah, I just I I I, I try to. It's such an original movie, but I do tell people it's like Barry Lyndon written by Monty Python with lesbianism. That's how I describe it. Yeah. It's kind of uh, a little bit accurate. I there think there is some like really. Monty Python-esque stuff in it like one sequence there's just a naked man and all these parliament members and their wigs are throwing tomatoes at him it's like truly bizarre and it's intercut with you know like totally normal conversation it's really distinct movie it's one of the most um, uh, well-written films it's so witty and uh, tight and really Uh, yeah yeah. well-structured yeah and And, like uh, the the way the characters, like their their arcs in the movie, are really well thought out. Um, and I like the ending a lot. Oh yeah, and I, I was reading last night. It's been in production for like the longest time. The woman who wrote the script wrote it in like 1998, and uh, I saw Lanthimos usually writes the movies that he directs. This might be the first one that he didn't write the uh, the original screenplay for, um, but. It's not the sort of thing you'd think the guy who did, like, uh... Dog uh, Tooth. <laughs> yeah, and Killing of a Sacred Deer would do, like, a period piece, but it's a really incredible fit, and it's one of those ones you wouldn't think it would be, but he adds a really distinct sort of thing to a period piece that I have not seen before, and I really love period pieces and see 
<laughs> like a lot of them. And this is one of the most original I've ever seen. Barry Lyndon, like honestly, is a good comparison. It's that good. Yeah. Well, um, my number two pick is uh, "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" by directed by Mariel Heller, and it stars Melissa McCarthy. Who, honestly, like if she won Best Actress, I would it, to me like Olivia Coleman and her are like right neck and neck is like best lead performance by an actress of the year. And it stars her as Lee Israel, a uh, literary figure who had had some success, but was on hard times. And she decided that she was going to start forging uh, letters by literary figures. She kind of stumbles into it and she keeps doing it. And she finally gets caught and she has her gay a uh, friend who is played by Richard E. Grant, and they just have incredible chemistry. They're so perfectly cast, and they're so funny together. And it, that, I just thought the movie was is it's such a gem. It's so well written. It's just so funny, and the performances are strong, and they have great, like I said, great chemistry. And it's it's an odd, you know, story. But one I, I knew just, nothing uh, about, to be honest. Yeah, I I just I thought, didn't know who Lee Israel was. <laughs> oh no, neither did I. But uh, it's a film that could have gone wrong because it's, uh, it's reportedly Nicole Holofcener who did Enough Said and um, a Walking and Talking. She was like a few like a week, uh, you know, into they were going to shoot it in like a week or two, and it, uh, with Julianne Moore and Chris O'Dowd and. Uh, some, something went wrong and no one's really clear. It was creative differences with Julianne Moore and the director and it ended up getting canceled and they ended up casting Melissa McCarthy and Richard, Richard e. Grant. Grant is much better than Chris O'Dowd. Yeah. For I mean, this role. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, I, I think that it's a character I've read that isn't uh, very, uh, it's not described that much in the book. It's he's not as major in the book that it's based on. Mm-hmm. But you know they they built up the character. It's almost like the- built around his like persona on screen and his sort of like acting style. Yeah, it's it's just I I just think the movie is so funny and smart and it's I just I I would vote for it for best uh, original uh, best adapted screenplay. Um, and I would be totally happy if Melissa McCarthy won, but I just thought it was such a funny movie, uh, a great New York movie. And uh, it's a great gay film where it's like, they're just gay and it doesn't matter. And they don't really talk about it that much. They just are that. And it's funny that it's like uh, about two gay people who like, don't like each other and are really nasty. It's a very like acerbic film, but, um, yeah, I, I just thought it was really wonderful. It's, it's my number two of the year. Yeah, I I really liked it. It did not make my top ten. Um, Melissa McCarthy, like they always say, you know, she goes dramatic. You've never seen her like this before. But it, it, she's really incredible in it. It's She's really deserving to be nominated for Best uh, Actress. But I think Richard E. Grant totally steals the movie. I've loved him. Like with Nell and I, Age of Innocence, he's one of those actors that is never really the lead, but is also always really solid, and this is just like a perfect role and spotlight for him. And he was actually nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and I think it might be his first nomination. But for yeah. me, he's the highlight of the movie and totally steals it. Right. I uh, he He's just so delicious to watch on screen, <laughs> the way he delivers the lines. And I love... He has an incredible like- voice, yeah. Oh yeah, you know, just you, you, you wish he could like narrate your life or be your <laughs> GPS. 
But um, I do like the line towards the end. I won't give it away where he says a really nasty word to her in the bar when he's leaving. It's just like everything in the film is just pitched. It's like the, I've, I think I've said before that one of the Coen brothers said that one of the top jobs of a director is tone management. And I think this film does it really beautifully of managing to have these really kind of unlikable characters who are very nasty to each other and they don't even like each other. At least I don't think Melissa McCarthy likes herself. I think Richard E. Grant is so full of himself in the yeah. film that he does, you know, at least put on the, you know, persona that he's, you know, beloved. But yeah, I just thought it was so smart and funny, and uh, I really liked it. So I've said before, I, we said the first reforms, my number one of the year. Uh, your number one? My number one, which I didn't have extremely high expectations for it when I went in to see it. But as I was watching it, completely blew me away. Uh, it is If Beale Street Could Talk, which is uh, Barry Jenkins' follow-up to Moonlight. And Moonlight was a movie I really liked a lot. Um, but If Beale Street Could Talk, I thought was an absolute masterpiece. I thought it was much better than Moonlight, for as good as Moonlight is. This one is a much more uh sort of sure of himself sort of as a director for Barry Jenkins um he also wrote the screenplay which he didn't do for Moonlight um it really reminded me of Wong Kar Wai he co-wrote it yeah Moonlight wasn't really his sort of movie in the way that this one is though I know he wrote the screenplay for this in like 2012 and this is a big passion project for him it's based on a novella by um James James Baldwin um from the 70s uh, it is about a couple in New York, I think the Bronx, in I think the early 70s. It's very fuzzy about when it actually takes place. Um, but they fall in love, and he is uh, arrested for a crime that he didn't commit. And a lot of the movie is sort of her uh, trying to get him out of prison while she's pregnant with his child. But it's all very nonlinear, and it's much more about like the mood of it. And just, like, the feel between the characters as, like, life is happening to them. The plot, uh, I think, is a little bit secondary to everything else that's going on in it. The score in it is absolutely beautiful and carries the movie in a lot of the ways, I think. Um, in the way that, uh, in the way that in The Mood for Love, there's a really central sort of musical piece. And you really get that in, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk also. And the sort of aural motif just... <laughs> it enhances the, the images in such an incredible way. I think it's really amazing what Barry Jenkins is doing. Um, he did that a little bit in Moonlight, but it's like taken to such a great place in this movie. And like Black Landsman, it has a real message to it. Um, it really has something to say. It's not just, you know, beautiful shots for the sake of beautiful shots. Um, <laughs> definitely my number one of the year it absolutely blew me away when i saw it uh i know it's in your top 10 not as yes. high for you as it is for me <laughs> i mean i uh did a top 10 list the last day of uh last year and i hadn't seen beale street uh when i was uh you know making my top 10 list but once i saw it in early january it made it into my top 10 i i also thought moonlight was a really uh, incredible film, but it wasn't even in my, that wasn't in my top 10 of that year. Uh, but I, I also think Bill Street's better, but, uh, the, not that they're, they're both wonderful films, but Bill Street. It's a masterpiece it's of, for me. 
I think that I don't think it's a matter. I think that there are scenes in the middle that don't really work, and they're kind of bogged the down. They they bog the film down a little. The scene with the guy that's in every film last year, oh uh, Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah, yeah, that scene just kind of done. It just kind of doesn't do anything. uh, Go anywhere, but. I love the mood of the film. It's like a mood piece. Uh, it's so beautiful. It's like music or poetry. It just has the. It is very much yeah. like poetry. It's very right. stylistic. And uh, the performances are really beautiful, and you just you just the, the human face yeah. on screen and the, the emotion between them, the way that uh, Jenkins captures it with the cinematography. And just capturing conversations between people, in like a, a sort of honesty that you don't see in a lot of movies. And I like the fact that it's obviously a film about race and there's these tensions, but it's not, you know, overtly a, you know, it's, it, it's more to me, a, a love story and a film uh, about emotion and human connection. And there is this plot underneath it, uh, which has substance, but on, you know, the, the thing that drives the film that makes it so resonant, uh, you know, makes you, it makes it resonate so much is the emotion and the love between the main characters yeah easily my number one the favorite i really love but if phil street could talk for me blows everything away um well um you want to do you do you do you have a six through ten you uh do you want to say do you want to give those away just list them off or, yeah let's uh, just count back our top five and then we'll sort of give some well, honorable well, mentions. well let's do it let's just do a top go okay, count let's back do the whole ten. top ten yeah. <laughs> my number your- ten is black panther my number nine is Widows. My number eight is The Death of Stalin. My number seven is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, my number six is Roma. Five, Cold War. Four, First Reformed. Three, Black Klansmen. Two, The Favorite. One, If Beale Street Could Talk. And my top ten. Uh, ten, If Beale Street Could Talk. Nine, you were never really here. Eight, the favorite. Seven, Roma. Six, leave no trace. Five, Black Klansman. Four, Jeanette, the childhood of Joan of Arc. Three, Burning. Two, can you ever forgive me? And definitely number one for me is First Reformed. So Roma sort of sticks out for both of us that it didn't make our top five. But for well, Metacritic is way number one. In their end of year rankings, it, I think it doubles up the score of the number two oh, movie. They, they have their top ten list yeah. thing. They compile the yeah. No, I mean, just because it's number seven on my list, I love the film. Oh, I think it's yeah, it's, the same for me I, too. I always tell people it's you know even if the film doesn't make my top ten, it doesn't mean I don't like it. It Boy, just means yeah. you know I saw I saw like I think last time I counted 110 films that were released in the U.S. last year. So you know. To be number seven out of 110 is like really, yeah. really good. <laughs> and like, I honestly would know, like, I almost think that even though I have Black Klansman higher, like, of the eight nominees for Best Picture, I think I might vote for Roma for yeah. Best Picture. Even, like, I know that sounds stupid to some people, like, well, why wouldn't you vote for the film that's higher in your top 10? But like, I, I, I do think, like, I have no problem with Roma winning. Oh, neither do I. And I actually um, just rewatched it today. There are some individual scenes in it that are like as powerful as anything I've seen like this century. <laughs> like some of the scenes are really that good. The, um, the the scene in the hospital where she's giving birth is so 
It's, you know, I really haven't seen anything like it in a movie. It's, and um, uh, I, I actually just saw this week, I started uh, on campus where I teach uh, having extra screenings kind of in conjunction with the Oscars and with the foreign languages offered on campus. And I showed Itumama Tambien and I'd never seen it. Have you ever seen it? I've seen parts of it. I've never actually seen the whole movie. Okay, you got you, it, it's a it's a great film. It yeah. starts out as a, you know, raunchy sex comedy road trip movie and then it ends up being this profound meditation on uh, mortality and life and the passage of time and it's a really interesting companion piece with Roma. There's even a shot that's in both the films, not not the same exact shot, but the same camera setup. And yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's the, Itumama Tambien is the one uh, before Roma that's a foreign language, Spanish language film. He, de- you know, did a number of big American Hollywood movies. Yeah. yeah. But amazing ones, you know, he's, yeah, yeah but definitely, uh, like we always like to say, Go see these movies in a theater if they're still playing near you. Um, but also how- very good on Netflix. I've <laughs> Both times I've seen it, I saw it on Netflix. And it really is a testament to how good it is that you can be in your house with all the lights on and it still totally takes you into it. Yeah, I just want to say that First Reformed and Jeanette, The Childhood of Joan of Arc are free on Amazon Prime and Black Klansman is on uh, Blu-ray and streaming and however you get movies. And um, most of the films now are playing uh, in theaters mm-hmm. like A Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book and The Favorite. Uh, and if they're not, they're on, uh, they're available to rent because, you know, they want the Oscar people to, you know, voters to be able to see the movies. So definitely, um, you know, catch up with some of these. Uh, go see them in a theater before they leave. One question. Do you think Roma, if it wins Best Picture, which I think it most likely will and best director do you think it's going to like play everywhere for at least a week in theaters or do you think netflix is like i just go watch it on netflix oh i I think they'll i know no way they put it back in theaters they use that to get people to netflix and like that would be so huge for netflix to get the best picture winner to be the first streaming film ever nominated for best picture and And um win yeah i just uh i mean i have a friend that's like well the film that wins best picture it's going to play in theaters i mean like the artist was a black and white silent french film and moonlight was this indie film about gay black men uh but though they both played like everywhere for a week like but i don't know it's it's but taking it into theaters takes it off netflix i don't think they do that well no what do you mean i know it if you see it in the theater that means you're not watching it on netflix well, I mean, I think I, 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 we don't need to go into a whole rant about like <laughs> Netflix is amazing uh, and Amazon because they're giving money to filmmakers to make movies that no other studio oh, would make. Sure. That otherwise but, would not have been made. It would have been one of those situations where like a studio buys a script and totally buries it and the director wanted to make it but just never got a chance. Amazon and Netflix are giving them a chance to make those kinds of movies. Uh, Cold War is Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I just I just worry that we're going to get to a point where it's only going to be Black Panther and comic book movies and Fast and Furious and Star Wars and the multiplexes, and then every other movie that's smaller is going to go straight to streaming and only play in like New York and L.A. and Chicago and a few other big cities, and that I don't like. Yeah. I worry. I, ser- I, I seriously <laughs> uh, think- no, because that problem most likely is something that's going to happen. It makes me sad that I had to drive 
two and a half hours to Atlanta to see the new Coen Brothers movie, yeah. to see Roma, that Steven Soderbergh has a new film coming out on Friday that's gotten very good reviews called High Flying Bird. He shot it on an iPhone. He's one of the most original and prolific, you know, unique directors working today. And I want to see his movie in a theater, yeah. but it's going to be on Netflix. But anyway, we have our uh, favorite <laughs> films. I, I mean, I, I didn't think that last year was like one of the greatest in recent years. But as no. always, there's some you know, yeah. really good films. Uh, and uh, next week, we're going to come back, even though it's going to be mid-February. Huh. We're going to go through our uh, films we're most looking forward to. Because well, January and February is where studios just dump out the really, really crap movies. <laughs> Have a, a dog's way or whatever exactly that one. so they have yeah. no competition and they get the number one movie and they say hey it's successful but it only made 20 million dollars <laughs> even though one of the top 10 films i'm most looking forward to this year came out in january but i'll give that tease uh but yeah we'll uh come back and talk about what we're most excited for uh this year and or at least hopefully will come out like my number one <laughs> film I, i'll just say that who knows when it's going to come out i think you know what i'm talking oh, about yeah. But anyway, because uh, I and expected then a, it to come out. <laughs> oh, and early then there's last a film year. that was finished last year, but the filmmakers kind of in like in the Me Too era are not very uh, beloved by uh, some people. So who knows? That's a very strong before. tease right there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so come but, back oh, and listen uh, next week well, as we yeah. look forward to our most anticipated movies for next year. Thank you for listening uh, to our best movies from last year. When you come